0: if you're in the field of finance business data and are navigating spreadsheets day in and day out trying to get the data right trying to set those rows make sure you've got the right formulas meet deadlines then this podcast is very much for you i'm talking to arjun kya Tanparee on the 55th episode of karishma connect a VC-turned entrepreneur in the UAE who has launched his own platform called Crossval. What spreadsheets don't do in four weeks, Crossval does in four minutes. It's extremely interesting to know his journey. There's a lot to learn about valuation, startups, venture capitalism, What's evolving in the market? How can one keep up with it? What's in it for budding entrepreneurs and what they need to keep in mind? So go check out this enlightening conversation. And until the next one, stay tuned because this is Karishma Connect and this is me, Karishma. Thank you so much, Ajinkya, for joining me on today's episode of Karishma Connect. I look forward to sharing your story with the audience who I think would enjoy it because there are a lot of insights that I believe you would be able to share. And it's a pleasure to have you.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Roshma.
0: Most welcome. So to begin with, the first question that I start off, and I think because every person tells their journey best by themselves, so just dig right in. Tell me your journey. How are you? Where you are? What makes it special to be? And how did all? How did you get started?
1: I think the journey began um, when I was when I was very young. Uh, it I just grew up in a house where. Um, entrepreneurship was something that was encouraged from a, from a young age. And then going into university, uh, I studied engineering, where I realized uh, I have a knack for problem solving. And from there, I went into venture capital, uh, because I was good with numbers, and I understood technology, and I didn't really fancy an engineering job. So um, it it just so happened to be a perfect fit in, in VC, uh, I spent a few years there. Uh, and then the natural trajectory is you stick around in VC or you move up to uh, private equity, which is um, not a lot of technology investments. You invest in like later stage businesses, sometimes it's tech, but later stage. And one of the things that remained constant was I spending hours of my day on spreadsheets, uh, maybe 12, 14 hours just on, on Excel, right? Um, and then, of course, the engineer in me realized there has to be a simpler way to do this, mm-hmm. um, and that turned into sort of what I'm doing now, which is uh, Crossfile. So I I founded this company that uh, eliminates the need for using spreadsheets, so you don't have to spend mm-hmm. hours. Uh, so people like me don't have to spend hours uh, building these financial models. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's that's essentially how the journey sort of uh, transpired. And uh, yeah, it's been a fun one.
0: And I'm gonna ask you, I'm I'm gonna get into Crosswell later, but I would like to ask you what have been your learnings during that span when you were transitioning from say, uh, you know, from being an engineer into becoming a VC, and then finally finding Crosswell, what have been some of your key lessons that people can kind of take away from?
1: Yeah, I think I think the biggest one um is patience. Uh, I, I was a very ambitious kid. I always wanted to. Um, know what i was doing and know where i was heading and like i like always couldn't wait for the next thing and how this would turn into success and that would turn into success and this would happen um as we all are right and i think the biggest one would be patience to just uh keep keep working hard keep sort of doing what you're doing day in day out and then the fruits will come uh so the biggest takeaway would be that um just yeah, wait out. Um just but don't don't wait it out while doing nothing. Uh make sure you're putting in the work that you need to put in. But um when you look back on the journey, the dots line up. You look back and you think, oh, that's exactly the path I should have taken. Uh but when you're when you're looking ahead, you can't see all of those paths correct. Um yeah, that's I think just having patience is the biggest uh biggest key.
0: And with that ambition and with operating in such a high-risk environment, it 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 gets to you, right? There's a lot that you deal with at a personal note. How do you deal with that? What's been your mantra to kind of dealing with risk? Uh,
1: so there's the risk that comes with it and then there's the stress. Um, with the risk, I think you just get normalized to it. Um, now, like if you speak to a founder or when I speak with my founder friends, um, risk is not really a part of the equation for them. Uh, they, they are we... Uh, know what we want and we're willing to sort of risk things for it but it just normalizes over time when you it's only risky when you go from like a really comfortable job or a really comfortable life into being an entrepreneur and not knowing sort of uh, if there's financial security or not that's where the risk is but once you take that jump it normalizes you get used to you know uh, being unsure about what the future looks like you get used to being unsure about uh, uh, sort of money things of this sort, right? And and then over time it solves itself. But you just get so used to it that it doesn't even feel like risk anymore. Hmm. Uh, but then at the same time, of course, uh, that's that's an emotional answer. But realistically, I think you should diversify. And and I did sort of um, early in the uh, early in my job. I knew that I'd take this leap someday, so I was putting money aside, having uh, backups. I also, of course. Um, live with my family so that sort of undoes un- a lot of the risk which is really good but um, yeah so I think I think speaking realistically uh, there are things you can do to diversify the risk hmm. Um, of entrepreneurship and to, in today's day and age it, that risk that barrier has come so low where hmm. with work and things you could be running a business in your off hours and no one would even know right it's yeah. become so easy to uh make, make money on the internet um, yeah, so I think just making sure you use all of those opportunities uh, will will heavily de-risk you.
0: And then, if you're a VC turned entrepreneur, does something led, the Does one lend into another? Basically, does how does that experience help?
1: I think uh, I I it doesn't lend into it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are someone who is naturally a risk taker,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I wasn't. Uh, as a very conservative person, uh, but being in a VC, being in that environment, constantly interacting with founders, interacting with entrepreneurs, that that changes sort of uh, how you think. Mm-hmm. And and that whole law of averages comes into play, right? You're the average of the five people you spend most, most of your time with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're in a VC, you get sort of really easy access to entrepreneurs. You can understand how they think, how they operate, um, and yeah, I think that was the biggest takeaway. Other than that, of course, you understand how VC's think and how they invest and how they make decisions. All of that is is great. But I think the biggest takeaway that will stick with me for the rest of my life is the the relationships I built with founders back then and um, the the learnings I had from that about you know taking risks, having passion towards the products you're building. Uh, those lessons are those lessons are really good because. As a VC, you're not taking any of the as a as an employee at a VC, you're not taking any of the risk that a founder is taking. No. You're getting all the access into these companies and into these early stage ventures, um, and you can sort of observe like you're at a stadium and see what works, what doesn't, what kind of founder ends up being success, successful, what kind of founder doesn't. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that that would be the biggest uh, takeaway. It it really teaches you how to think big and how to take risks and how to operate in an efficient manner, uh, if, if that doesn't come to you naturally, there's a lot of founders who are naturally like that and they don't need any sort of, um, uh, founders, one hundred one lessons like I did, but, uh, <laughs> uh but yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest takeaway.
0: And, you know, uh in the past I've interviewed somebody called Prantik Majumdar who's also into venture capitalism and angel investing and I was just talking to him and discussing how the times have changed when you know um, in age-old times say from the time of your father or my father or beyond that it was all about the barter system or it was all about money lending in the in the traditional sense and today we have Venture capitalism and angel investing coming into the market, and he told me how it was different. I'd like to ask you the same question: How do you think uh, the industry has evolved to embrace newer forms of financial modeling and management, and what do you think is in store coming up?
1: I think uh, the the world has evolved into to a point where um, the finance what used to be sort of the catalyst um or or the fundamental need for an entrepreneur to set up a business right that's why you'd you'd see businesses coming up from the the better or the higher chunks of society who have generational wealth uh but now that's gone now it's uh the money is the money is a catalyst but it's not a fundamental need to to start something off you can start an influencer campaign or you start sort of start becoming an influencer uh, for free. You don't need, you need like a phone and a camera maybe. Um, so that's gone, but um, money is still a catalyst. So if you still want to scale and make a, turn into a huge company, you you still need cash and that's where venture capital comes in. Um, so I think that, again, coming back to how there's lower barriers to entrepreneurship now, I think money is no longer a barrier to building a business or at least a lifestyle business. Um, but of course, a super scaled tech company will still need, uh, loads of cash. But, um, yeah, one of the things that's changed from sort of, uh, the times of our fathers is, uh, money is no longer a barrier. It's still an enabler. It's no longer a barrier. Um, and in the future, I think, uh, I think the trend will continue, uh, where humans are going to figure out simpler and more efficient ways to, you know, pursue their dreams and, um, and and money will be a good outcome of it. Uh, um, I mean, in India, we're seeing examples of uh, yeah. highly scale businesses, which never raise a dollar from VCs or angels, yeah. uh, which is really cool to see, and it's really difficult to do as well.
0: Mm. And
1: uh, us internally, we have a big focus on profitability and ensuring that we're not at a point where we're burning capital uh, without worrying about profitability and sustainability. Uh, so things things are changing. Uh, let's mm-hmm. say in the last decade or in the in uh, the two thousands, um, it was all about growth. You could spend whatever amount of money you could, you could get capital uh, and keep growing. But now it's now it's turning into a sustainability game. Who can survive the longest? Um, yeah. One of the things I always think of uh, is if you're a, if you're a startup or an early early stage venture, you your top priority is to survive. Um, uh, at least at least for the first two to three years, because if you can survive for that long, uh, most of your competitors or most of the people who start uh will either give up or fail. Mm. And if you're able to sustainably survive until then, your chances of success go up exponentially. Uh, um so yeah, I think I think funders will get a lot more lean, a lot more uh a lot more efficient with how they spend their money.
0: And what are your tips for uh, say? What are your three tips for early founders who are in that stage, starting out, to kind of sustain through that cycle of three years or four years, however much it takes them to emerge successful?
1: Yeah, I think personally, uh, on, on the personal side, make sure you've got enough saved up, so they're not, you know, stressing every night or uh, at at not at peace. Uh, and of course, that's difficult to do sometimes. But it's if if you are in a position to do it. Do it. Um, if you can't, then that's that's an additional risk you take, and it's a part of the process. I think every founder will tell you there has been a time in their lives where it got it came really close. Yes. Uh, it's been it's been fifty stories.
0: All of them have had that moment.
1: <laughs> it will it will come really close, and uh, a lot of founders like to say that it, it you're not going to be successful unless it comes that close, right? Um, so uh, I I think. The number one biggest step is if you're considering entrepreneurship or if you've already taken the job, make sure you're uh, make sure you're taking care of your responsibilities. If you can plan ahead, plan ahead. Um, other than that, the other two would be for when you start running your business. Uh, try and note uh, note down how you spend your money, uh, the business money and your personal money. Uh, be it on pen or paper, be it on a computer, be it on a spreadsheet. However you want to do it, but make sure there's a note somewhere. Um you can you can do all of the accounting and modeling later, but you you can only do that if you've noted it and kept track of it somewhere. Mm. Uh and the other benefit of keeping track of it is you know where the money's being spent and you understand, hey, if I spend a dollar on marketing, it's not turning into revenue. If I spend a dollar on my employees, it is turning into benefit. Or if I spend a dollar on this partnership, it is turning into benefit. Um, and that's literally your job. As an early stage founder, you need to figure out what channels turn into new money, right? Because you're investing uh, when you're running a new business, and uh, having keeping track or keeping tabs with your finances allows you to do that. Um, and and that's all it is, right? It's it's just a game of endless optimization. In the first year, you might um, optimize. You might spend on product, uh, and that is your optimal spend. In year two, uh, product will not be your optimal spend. It might be marketing. Mm. Um, In year three, marketing might not be optimal spend. It might be sort of customer relationships or um, your own employees. And it's just this endless game and you have to keep track of this somehow. And if you can just, you know, collect this data for yourself uh, in any way possible. A a big mistake founders will do. And I think it's part of the personality type is it's in my head, right? I remember, like, I'm mentally accounting for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's very easy to get lost in that because um, yeah. we're all emotional beings, right? Uh, and of course, uh, a spend that I make on a nice dinner is easily forgotten, but a spend I made on something that was actually really useful, but it was a big spend
0: mm-hmm. is,
1: is. Uh, uh, for example, we uh, we're based in the IFC and we, uh, in the early days, we would pay rent and I'd be like, why am I even paying for an office? I don't use it. Why do I have to go to this? But that has turned into so many relationships and so many partnerships and so many clients that uh, there's no way i can go back and track the roi that has come out of uh, being based there so things of this sort uh, you only realize later yes, uh, sometimes. And, uh, yeah so i think i think mean, just keep track in in whatever manner possible don't don't do the whole mental accounting we all we all think we can do it but our brains are not built for numbers our brains are built for uh, built for nature built for human beings built for relationships use your brain for that Leave all of the other stuff on paper,
0: and then tell me how you, with Crosswell, help others control their financial accounting in a better way.
1: Yeah. So uh, the when I was at at, at the VC, the big things I realized with founders was um, this was a struggle. Right. Uh, it would take anywhere between two to three weeks to do to do this whole process. Um, if if you have the numbers ready, it'll take you two to three weeks. If you don't have a value, it's it's even longer, or you might just not be able to do it. Um, and then personally, uh, when I was building models for other companies, I realized, okay, the analysis also takes a lot of time. Mm. So we saw two key problems. One is we simplify uh, the financial modeling process for early stage founders. So if you're a founder uh, who needs to you know figure out how they should be spending their money, how you know um, how much they might make in the future, what their valuation is. Etc. Etc. Instead of spending three weeks or hiring an external consultant, um, you can just get on Crossval, do it in less than five minutes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um.
1: So some of our models are built in four minutes and ten seconds, and then that takes care of you for like the next five to six years. Uh, because it's linked with all your software, all your accounting data. It's got um AI integration, so it takes care of the of the whole process automatically. So you never have to revisit. Um, I mean, if you want to revisit, you can, but you never have to do manual work. You can think and strategize uh, by freeing up your mind and also freeing yourself up from the constant stress and anxiety of, oh, are my finances in order? Are my numbers in order? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the key aspect for founders. And then on the other side, which is more of a personal, or like my work line
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: that I solved for, was uh, we improve employee efficiency. So uh, someone like me, who's an analyst or an associate, or VC or an investment fund, spends, let's say, 10 hours of their day uh, building these models. And through our proof of concept tests, we found that we improve employee efficiency by 80%. So now that associate analyst is spending two hours building models because of Mm CrossVal and spending the other eight hours either as time on different deals or time to recover or time to think and strategize and really become a valuable employee,
0: mm-hmm. so
1: on and so forth. So those are the two problems we solve for. One is simplification and the other is optimization. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what Crossfile does.
0: And this is for companies. In terms of individuals, why do you think it is important to look for ways that help support the process and manage it better?
1: I think I think personal finance is way ahead of uh, corporate finance uh, just because it's it's a bigger market. I think uh, so. We we saw innovations in personal finance come in maybe five years ago, right? And mm-hmm. corporate finance innovations are coming in just now. Um, and I think at an individual level, it's that much more important because uh, it's um, the the risk is much higher, right? Like in a company, if you lose a lot of money uh yeah the company shuts down and people might lose jobs but they can then go and get a job somewhere else uh but as as an individual it's it's sort of localized risk where if an individual is not managing the money well they're going to fall short of responsibilities and so on and so forth and as human beings that problem is so much easier for us to understand because it's personal right Mm. uh my kid is affected my family is affected my this is affected Whereas when you're in a company, it's, oh, the company, something will happen and I'll go get a new job. You don't think of it at that scale. Yeah. So personal, personal finances uh, naturally uh, are, are really important and how people manage them is key. And of course, now you've got apps like Sarva and uh, Wealthface and a few others um, that you can use to just automate that process as well. So it'll invest money for you. It'll... Um, I think I don't remember the name of the app. There's an app which when you can put in like your goals,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, like I want to send my kid to college in twenty years, I want to have a house in ten years, I want to buy a car in three years, and then it'll tell you how you should be saving your money, what assets you should be buying,
0: mm-hmm. so on and
1: so forth. So, again, like with a lot of financial products, right, corporate or personal, the real product is not the tech or the or the simplification or any of that the real product is a peace of mind you get. Um, because when you implement you know, uh, a, a robo-advisor or something like CrossVal, the real, real sort of value is you're paying money to free up uh, stress in your mind. Uh, the stress that comes from managing your finances, the anxiety that comes from avoiding looking at those messages from the bank. Uh, all of these things don't have to worry you anymore uh, because you can just use technology to alleviate it. Uh, and I think I think that's the key focus. Uh, companies need to maintain where we're trying to eliminate stress and pain points uh, for the end user.
0: And how? What do you have to advise for those who are looking for valuation for their startup?
1: Uh, I think just uh, if if you can do it yourself, uh, it's it's a great place to be as a founder. Um, you can. It's not. Um, It's not rocket science. If you're a founder, you can figure it out. But uh, as a founder, your time is also that much more valuable and you're better off spending it, um, doubling down on your specialty. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a bunch of tools out there, one of which being CrossVal, which can um, very accurately and very seamlessly uh, figure out what your valuations are, what your projections are, uh, so on and so forth, without, you know, spending any of the time that you might spend on doing this process um so i think i think in terms of advice uh, that would be key mm-hmm. and then the second one is uh, it's it's always a conversation uh you can negotiate up and you can negotiate down and an investor will always negotiate down because imagine you're buying uh you imagine you're buying you know a car you want the best deal that you can get it's the same with an investor investing in the company they want the best deal that they can get uh, but if you're a founder who's very convinced and very passionate about what they're building, um, you should you should stick to the stick to the number that you're looking for that creates the best outcome for you. Um, and then tools like Crossfire and Research, et cetera, will allow you to back those numbers up. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's really sort of the approach you should be taking, where first think of what the best outcome for your company is. And sometimes that answer is. You don't need to raise money. That's not the best outcome at mm-hmm. all times, right? Some companies don't need external funding. Um, yeah, I think I think that would be that would be key for any uh, founder to realize that. First of all, do I really need uh, an investment? And second, if I need it, let me think of the best outcome of this investment and then pursue it. Um, you can't you can't start a company and then think of trying to raise money in the first three months. You need to first create value. Uh, make sure that. That value creation is scalable, and then if it is scalable, at that point is where uh, capital comes in.
0: That right now this is a thriving market that's kind of giving opportunities. What's been unique about your experience setting up in this region?
1: Uh, so I've been I've been in Dubai about eighteen or nineteen years, and I've seen this place as uh, a constant opportunity. Right? Uh, it was it was an opportunity for. Uh, my family it is an opportunity it remains an opportunity for me and I think it will only grow from here on Um, so um, it's it's I think the outlook is is very optimistic which is what I what I admire Uh, and I think again coming back to sort of founder mindset uh, it's it's all about hope and optimism uh, right at the end of the day when you when you're on that sort of square one when you've just registered your license you have very little money in the bank um and you don't have any customers and you have an idea um all you really have is hope and optimism and I think uh I think Dubai thrives on optimism uh, which which makes it a great place for business which makes it a great place to live uh, because uh, yeah everyone everyone aspires to be better aspires to be happy aspires to uh do well uh in this country so that's that's what makes it a great place for business.
0: I mean, we've got a happiness street, happiness editor. I don't know what not. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> are. On that route. My last question to you, and this is one that I ask very often because it, I believe it breaks down complex principles into something as simple as explaining it to a five-year-old. So tell me if you were to speak to a five-year-old and talk about financial management, how would you define it? How would you explain it?
1: Yeah, um, so if, if I was speaking to a five-year-old, I think I'd break it down to the lemonade stand example
0: mm-hmm. where,
1: hey, look, if you want to create a lemonade stand, what's the first thing you do? And the answer would probably be go buy lemons and then we'd buy some sugar, we'd buy some water, buy a jug, buy some glasses. And um, we just essentially make a list of how much we're spending on all of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would, let's say, add up to uh, $1 per drink um, and now, if I want to make uh, the same amount of money back because at the end of the day your lemonade stand is a business and you want to make more money out of it, uh, we we sell that sell that glass of lemonade for one point two or one point five or two or six dollars, depending on how hot it is outside. Um, and then that if we put all of this down on paper uh, or a cool computer software, uh, that's essentially a financial model.
0: It's been very insightful and I hope to share this soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Uh,
1: Thank you for having me, Karish. It's been really fun chatting with you.